It's a consistent and intentional focus on making sure that leadership, growth, and development, and those skills and behaviors are emphasized, reinforced, and taught on a daily basis. I, I don't know if you've experienced this as a young coach, but um, I hear coaches will come to me all the time and say, Ron, we don't have any leaders on this team. And, and my question always is to them is, well, what type of growth and development do you have for them? And, and I don't mean by you, you, you say, well, I put Ron in charge of the 6 a.m. lifting group. Well, okay, you, you've, you've given him a position, but have you taught him the skills and behaviors and how to implement those skills and behaviors? Um, because no one comes out of the womb with the, the leadership DNA in their blood. Um, that, that has been debunked by scholars now uh, for about 150 years. So um, long-winded way of saying that again um, is that I think um, the intentionality um, and the consistent focus every single day in everything that we do, um, I think contributes to that sustained success and that, and that culture of, of leadership and development. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Ron Sires Jr. to the podcast, or as he prefers to go by, Coach Sires. Coach Sires is a professor and the associate head baseball coach at Salisbury University, the current Division III defending national champion. After he helped lead the Seagulls to their first national championship in program history, Coach Sires was recently named the NCAA Division III Assistant Coach of the Year. He has served on the Salisbury baseball staff for 24 years. In our conversation today, we talk about sustaining success, a five-part framework for developing leaders on your team, cultural artifacts, and bringing your team's core values to life. If you enjoyed the episode and want a copy of the podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com and drop your email in the form to get the notes from this episode or any of the podcast episodes. And as a bonus, I'll email you a link to download my entire library of coaching notes. If you're already on my email list, just check your email inbox for the weekly email and a link to download the notes. And if you want to learn more about being part of the Coaches Club community, a community of like-minded coaches that are committed to learning and growing, go to coachesclub.community to learn more or schedule a call with me to talk about joining. And finally, if you're interested in joining a virtual book club on the Coach's Guide to Teaching by Doug Lamov, you can learn more or join the waitlist for the next round at cgtbookclubs.com. Now to my conversation with Coach Sires. Enjoy the episode. All right, coaches, really excited to welcome Coach Sires from Salisbury College to the podcast today. Uh, Coach Sires, I want to start off by talking about your program, your baseball program at Salisbury University, and you guys have really sustained success over the last few decades. As I was looking into your guys' program, um, you have been in the regional tournament every year over the past 20 years, I think six College World Series. And you just won uh, the program's first Division Three College World Series this past season. And so I'd love if we could just start off by having you uh, talk about some of the keys to sustaining mm. success within your guys' program. Mm. Yeah. First of all, look, I'd like to say thank you for, uh, for having me on. It's great to be here. Um, and the national championship has been what I like to refer to as uh, joyfully overwhelming um, in the past month and a half here. Um, this will be starting, uh, starting this fall, will be my 25th year here as the associate head coach. Um, and I think one of the reasons that we have sustained um, the success um, is that I think that we've been able to model um, nearly all of what uh, Jeff Jansen talked about in his book back in 2015 of uh, cultural sustainability. Um, and the ideas there of, you know, what type of student athletes are we trying to attract? Um, how do we go about our selection process? Um, how do we enculturate those individuals here? I, I'm not a big fan, Luke, of the term 
getting the student athlete to buy in to a system because I think that um, promulgates compliance rather than commitment. Um, so we're more on the educational front of that um, in order to try to um, contaminate them with, with our cultural norms. Um, we've been able to educate our student athletes. Um, we are very, very transparent in our communication. Um, we've been able to sustain our rituals. Um, we're very prepared. Um, and then all of that, I think, sets the foundation for being able to, uh, to execute. Uh, we're big on the KPIs. I know, you, I know um, Jeff uh, Jansen talks about those, those key performance indicators. All programs have them, whatever metrics that you use. Um, what is it that you're measuring? Um, whether it's measuring every ball that's put in play in practice or every BP round or every BP side round. How do we recognize our student athletes? How do we appreciate our student athletes? Um, how do we commemorate? Um, you mentioned we've been very blessed here with, with six teams that have made it to the College World Series. Um, we, how, how do we commemorate them? And then and I think the last part of it, um, Luke, is that you get to that point of, okay, um, you know, we're all human beings, right? We're not human doings, so we're not robots. So, so sometimes in the culture to sustain, I think you have to figure out, well, what, what's your system for correction? Um, if sometimes student athletes might get off the path and um, what's the system uh, for sanctioning? And sometime, do you have a system for elimination? I think it was Anson Dorrance um, down in North Carolina that used to always talk about, I, I was fascinated by it, um, that culture um, is kind of like a garden, right? And, and you're constantly having to do the weeding um, and you're constantly having to prune that. So, so we have systems in place for that. And then what's our system for promotion? Um, to, just to give you an idea here, the, the lineup that we started in the national championship game on June the 8th um, against uh, the University of St. Thomas, a great program. Uh, they're going Division One next year. This was their last year at Division Three. They're going Division One, um, And our starting lineup in that game um, was 57% different from what our starting lineup was the very first game of the year. Um, that we had. So in our system there, that, that kind of system of promotion, you know, what, you, what, what is it that you're earning in practice on that in player development? Um, we won a national championship this year with our starting third baseman, walk on, starting second baseman, walk on. Um, and the player developing that and the promotion that they certainly have shown to others, meaning again, doesn't matter how you come in and how highly recruited you were, um, you certainly have that opportunity. And then I think the last part of sustaining a, a, a culture would fall into the category of succession. And, and I don't mean succession here from the perspective of the coaches. Um, I've been here as the associate coach, like I said, for, for 25 five years. Coach Brohan is our head coach now. Uh, who He played with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Won a, he's one of only two people, interestingly enough, that has won a Major League Baseball World Series with the Diamondbacks and a Division Three National Championship. And interestingly enough, the other guy that did it was Scott Brocious, who did it. And in 2001, and I'm a Yankee fan, so this one hurt my heart. In 2001, Coach Brohan's Diamondbacks beat Scott Brocious uh, and the Yankees um, in 2001. So those guys are kind of connected. It's kind of kind of unique there through the 20 years. But we look at succession more of what's the succession with the leadership? What's the succession with the leadership council? Um, what's the succession with those individuals that come into the program? Um, we, we don't believe that leaders are born. We certainly don't believe that leaders are leaders just because they get a title or because they're a senior or because they transferred to us from a division one or two school. Um, we believe that leadership is innate. Um, leadership can be taught. Um, leadership um, that can be improved upon and the behaviors and skills that make exemplary leaders um, certainly can be augmented by what the coaches do. And, and we spend a lot of time um, in doing that. Obviously we have an advantage here. I, I, you know, I'm a professor also, and I teach in our athletic coaching program and I teach leadership courses that many of our student athletes take as well. So we, we kind of get an, an extra advantage on that. I know you're a high school teacher as well. Um, one thing that I do miss about, 
I did miss about teaching high school and coaching in high school is I loved having my student athletes in class and getting to see them during the day and then at practice. And it's been really a blessing to be able to do that also at the college level. So that's a long winded way, I think, of of kind of summing that up of why I think that sustainability is has kind of uh, has, has really been there for the past 21 years. Yeah, that's special. And I think we'll just kind of let a lot of those things guide the rest of our conversation, because as you were talking about a lot of those things, I was just wondering how you do it, like what's your system mm-hmm. like for those different things. And so maybe let's start with, let's start with the last thing we talked about with succession. And mm-hmm. when you talked about succession, as far as leadership, and I think you mentioned you guys have a leadership council. So will you start and share what is a leadership council? Why do you have it? And then maybe get into some of that succession and developing leaders within your program, what that looks like. Sure. Um, I teach, like I said, I have a, uh, I teach undergraduate and graduate leadership classes at the university. So the nice thing about that is, um, is that it also allows me to be our athletic coaching minor coordinator. Um, So 99% of the students that I get in my courses are student athletes here at our university and lots and lots of them um, are our baseball players. Um, And in those particular courses or how we will start off with that kind of foundation is we're big believers here, um, Luke, in the leadership challenge framework. Um, And that is a framework that's been around for the past four decades that uh, Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner at Santa Clara University started back in 1983. They continue to collect data um, in over 70 countries, uh, 700 published scholarly articles, um, over 4.25 million pieces of data that go into what they call this leadership practices inventory the LPI and what that is, and I share this with our student athletes and we do this in the course, is that it assesses your particular leadership behaviors in five specific practices. Like how well do you model the way? How, meaning, can you clarify your values? I always call this the elevator test with our student athletes. Like, so I say, hey, we're gonna get on an elevator post pandemic. And we're going to go to the 20th floor. And by the time we get to that 20th floor for lunch, you're going to be able to articulate to me, what are your five core values? And then you're going to operationalize those for me. Because if you can't, if you can't identify and operationalize your core values, it makes it really difficult for you to DWYSYWD, which is an acronym for do what you say you will do because you don't really know what it is that you want to do because you don't have a value clarity. So we spend a lot of time with that. And then from that, we will move to um, the second of the five practices. How do, you, how do you inspire a shared vision? Not Coach Cyrus's vision, not Coach Brohan's vision, but, but how do we um, imagine those exciting and appealing aspirations for the team and the organization? And we use a term that's, that's very, very common, Luke, in the... Um, in the baseball community um, as well. I was a high school basketball coach as well. Uh, I played basketball. I love basketball. I know you do a lot with basketball on here. I love basketball, man. Um, And we use a term called Mudita. Um, And what that means is, M-U-D-I-T-A, Mudita. And what that means is, is that um, you as a student athlete get more joy in the success of your teammate than you do in your own success. So the concept there is each day at practice, each day in a game, each day in a regional, each day in a class, a World Series, you know, our mantra is, you know, make your teammate a hero today. Make make your teammate a hero. But that all takes a lot of time in developing not only our individual values, our team values, and then our shared vision. And then from that, we will go to our third practice, which is challenge the process. Well, well, how do you do that? It's not just to do something to shake things up. It's, well, what are we doing to be innovative and creative um, in our methodology and in our teaching and in our video and in our breakdown and what metrics that we're using um, on top of that? In our exit interviews with our student athletes, we're really, really big with feedback. Um, you know, what is it that's working? I, I find this out, Luke, as a coach, I wish I would have found it out when I was as young as you. Um, 
But the more times that I ask my student athletes, I'm our defensive coordinator, okay? So when I ask our student athletes, hey, you know, let's say we just finished a particular skill progression, um, whether it's a, you know, a blocked practice or a random practice set, and whether we're focusing on external cues or internal cues for that particular point, I always ask, hey, what, what did you learn? What, what did you learn? Or what, what did we learn from that? Um, and what I find by just asking something that simple is that I get a lot of great feedback from the student athlete that lets me say, oh, okay, now maybe I know why so-and-so might be a little hesitant to take a risk or why someone tell, someone told me long ago, Ron, you learn best from experience. And I thought, well, this is when I was in college. I said, well, I see some people in college that they have a lot of experience doing things, but they keep making the same bad decisions. Um, and then I had a coach who told me, well, that's because they don't do, I think uh, Corey Dobbs does this in his research about, he calls it cognitive reappraisal. Do we actually have an experience? And then do we sit down and reflect upon it, put together an action plan, and then move forward with a different plan? That's how we, that's how we view challenge the process that innovation and that, and that creativity. When we did that after we won the, um, the World Series, it was kind of whirlwind there. Boom, we come in, you come back in um, and we, with our seniors. Our seniors are coming in and we're going through. What do we need to do to improve? What do we need to do to get better? When I do X at practice, I, I always do this in our postseason because we certainly treat it as a process, right? Like all coaches do, right? Let's just try to get better today. 1440 was, was our, our mantra this year where there are 1440 minutes in a day, right? So, so how are you going to spend your 1440? Um, how are you going to spend them to try to get better? And then, we, you know, we can't control anything else that's going to happen in the game. Um, so we'll spend a lot of time with our student athletes dealing with the process of how we can get better as opposed to the outcome, which obviously we don't have control over. Um, and I think if you, if you have those foundational practices of modeling and inspiring and challenging, to me, the biggest one that I see in athletics, um, is how do you empower people or enable others to act as Kuzis and Posner talk about in their transformational leadership. And that's the idea of how do we build that vulnerability trust? I think John Wooden did the study. I'm dating myself here. Look, I know I am. I think John Wooden did this study back in the 60s where he had a researcher at UCLA who came to his practices and they were charting um, when he was actually, was, was he giving instruction? Was he giving feedback? Was it positive? Was it negative? Um, and it was something just, I mean, through the roof of like 96 or 97% of the comments he made were positive and they were focused on the process. And we really, really, really try hard. I know it was Peter Drucker that talked about, hey, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Well, we've kind of taken it a step farther. And we say culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's easy for me in the recruiting process uh, to tell student athletes, hey, you know what? We're a family here, Luke. We care about each other. We're concerned. About I don't know a coach that, that doesn't say that. But what I do know is, if you came to our practices and if you came to our games, um, and I, I, the, the, the final when we won the World Series, as everybody's on that mound and we're all hugging, I wish somebody would have counted the amount of times that we said, I love you. Um, I, and, and mean it sincerely. But we also say that in practice. And we'll say that in our group meets. And we'll say that in our chats. And we'll say that in our one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, because if you don't act it out and develop those deep, mature, personal relationships, which all coaches talk about, right? It's really difficult, in my opinion, to foster relationships that truly matter when the competition gets heightened. Um, individuals talk about, can I give someone confidence or can I provide the skill acquisition environment and then put you in a position to succeed so you can have um, demonstrable performance and then you build the confidence in yourself. I think I can help you with your competence, 
more than I can help you with your confidence. So we, we use a lot to, to enable others to act. I've, I've used the flow model, if you're familiar with that. Um, one of my favorite, favorite researchers, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. And I'm going to date myself again here. Jimmy Johnson loved this guy in the 90s coaching the Dallas Cowboys. And I thought, what, what is he talking about in these interviews? And when I looked it up, uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi wrote a, wrote a book called The Optimal Experience. And he called it The Flow. So we want to get our athletes in the flow, right? Um, well, how do we do that? Well, I have to have relationships with them. They have to know that, that I care and I truly love them. I love the person more than I love the product. And I care about them. And when they know that, John Gordon refers to this as loving tough rather than tough love. I love that term, right? If, you know you, if I know you love me, you know I care about, hey, I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for you because I care about you and because I love you. If I then ask you, so if I was asking you, look, I'd say, hey, look, um, you know, we're thinking about, we, we are big here at Salisbury about recruiting and developing positionless players. I know uh, John Calipari talks a lot about that at the University of Kentucky, being a positionless player. So if I'm recruiting you, Luke, I, I don't want to recruit you as a shortstop. I want you to be able to play short and second and third, maybe first, maybe center field. Our entire infield this year, our center fielder this year, we're all high school shortstops. Our starting second baseman in the national championship game, who was a walk-on, played third, short, second, first, and left for us this year. So if I'm doing that in those positions, so if I'm coming to you and I say, hey, Luke, we're thinking about moving you from a point guard um, to a shooting guard, I will give you this little flow model and say, hey, tell me where you see yourself right now. Do, do you, where do you think your skills are? from moving to that position and you would plot it on the chart. And then I would say, well, what do you think about that challenge? Where would you put yourself on the challenge? You plot it on the chart. Now, if you think the challenge is really high and your skills are really low, you're going to be really anxious and I'm not going to be putting you in a position to be successful, but I can help you with your competence, right? Because I can provide you with that skill acquisition of what you need. If you tell me, well, coach, you know, that's the challenge is low, man. And my skill level is really, really high. Then I'm thinking, okay, well, you're probably going to be very apathetic, bored, kind of feel like you're underutilized. Well, why would I want to do that to you? Um, so we spend a lot of time on, on collecting a lot of data. Um, I know a lot of coaches do. I know they do. Um, and we talk about being data informed rather than data driven right? Because sometimes the, the numbers don't tell the whole story. And then the very last part of that part of the, um, of that leadership um, environment and all of our student athletes being leaders um, and those individuals, whether they are upperclassmen, lowerclassmen, is we have to, we have to find a way consistently to encourage their heart, consistently to encourage their heart, um, to show them true appreciation. Um, we do if on our Twitter uh, account. I do the, the Twitter baseball account. For each one of our games, we have this we have this little rock that I painted in maroon and gold. That's our colors here. Um, and at the end of the game, we give out a rock at the end of the game. And that's our way of encouraging the heart for someone in the game who has correlated a specific skill or behavior that matches up with our core values. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that was the person that was the best offensively or defensively. Um, could have been someone that, man, you know, Luke, in that seventh inning right there, him being able to give us that tempo and timing on that pitcher allowed us to steal third base twice in the third inning to put us in a position uh, to win. And I find that, and what I have found, I'm, I'm a big Anson Dorrance follower. Um, I know you've had two inquests on her. Wow, holy mackerel, I, I would bow, I'd bow down uh, to her. She is the elite of the elite. Um and I know that, that they did a, did a really and continue to do a great job of taking the step back and encouraging the heart by celebrating the small wins along the way. I think sometimes as coaches, we get so wrapped up into, okay, all right, well, now, now we have to get ready for this, right? Well, now we got ready for the conference, or now we got to get ready for the, for the regionals. Well, now we got to get ready for the world. Well, okay, let's take a step back here. Let's take a step back, right? And let's just really sit down and, and, and celebrate and be thankful and grateful, um, for what has actually happened um, within that environment. Um, and I think if you take those five things there, Luke, the, 
Kuzum Posner used the acronym of MICE, M-I-C-E-E, Model, Inspire, Challenge, uh, Enable, and Encourage. And you live them out and you measure them, which I do in my classes with the LPI, with our athletes. And then you put together a plan of growth and development. And then you constantly are seeking feedback from others, from your teammates, from your coaches, from those that you live with in the dorms or you live with off campus on top of that. Um, and then when, you, when we find out, as, as I mentioned in our attraction part of that, we're, we're going to be up front with you uh, in our recruiting process. And as we tell a lot of student athletes, you know, this may not be something that you see as a, as a cultural fit for you. And, and that's okay. But, but we want to find that out before you decide to make that big decision that, yes, I want to put myself in this, in this environment because I've, I've never, Luke, in my, you know, 30 years of doing this, I've ever had a student athlete that said, coach, I can't wait for my first transfer coach. I can't wait to get in that transfer portal. Um, coach, I can't wait to uproot myself. Um, so it's a, it's a consistent and intentional focus on making sure that leadership growth and development and those skills and behaviors are emphasized, reinforced and taught on a daily basis. I, I don't know if you've experienced this as a young coach, but um, I hear coaches will come to me all the time and say, Ron, we don't have any leaders on this team. And, and my question always is to them is, well, what type of growth and development do you have for them? And, and I don't mean by you, you say, well, I put Ron in charge of the 6 a.m. lifting group. Well, okay, you, you've given him a position, but have you taught him the skills and behaviors and how to implement those skills and behaviors? Um, because no one comes out of the womb with the, the leadership DNA in their blood. Um, that, that has been debunked by scholars now uh, for about 150 years. So um, long-winded way of saying that again um, is that I think um, the intentionality um, and the consistent focus every single day in everything that we do, um, I think contributes to that sustained success and that, and that culture of, of leadership and development. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot there. My mind is, is thinking through a lot of things as you're hitting on those different points. I, I really like that MICE acronym just to even break it down into those five frameworks and to consider how you can start to move forward in each of those areas. I want to share a quick story with you because I think you'll like it and your sure. rock um, made me think of it. So I think that artifacts or some sort of mementos are just a way underrated piece of culture because I think coaches can feel like it's cheesy, but I think they can be really powerful. And so I finished, just finished coaching a team of fourth graders in basketball a month or so ago. Awesome. And about a month into the season, I can't remember where actually, no, it was, it was in Doug Lamoff's book, the coach's guide to teaching. He, he talks about that same concept a little bit. And he mentions um, using a golden plunger. Maybe it was a coach that he was talking to in the book. Mm. And this coach says, yeah, um, you know, one of the, one of the easiest ways to have something unique for your culture is just go buy a plunger and spray paint it gold and then, you know, give it out as an award. And so I was like, I love this. And I think fourth graders would just love this. And so what I did is I went and bought a plunger for $3 at Home Depot. And I bought a can of gold spray paint, spray painted it gold. And then this is where I think I did something kind of unique that was fun for the kids and it just kind of built some uh, mystique almost around it. I just brought this golden plunger with me to practice for like two or three practices. And I just carried it around with me and didn't tell them what it was. So like I showed up to practice with this golden plunger and they're like, what mm. you have a plunger? Why? What's the plunger for? And then I would just say, I would just say, oh, that's a good question. And then I'd move on from it. I, I wouldn't even tell them what it was. And so half of them, like by the end of two or three practices, seeing this golden plunger, they're going crazy trying to figure out what it is. And then at the end of our um, games that we played that next weekend, we played, I think, two games on a Saturday. And afterwards, I, and I told them after these two games, I'll tell you guys what the golden plunger is or what this is. And so we huddled up after the game and I said, this is the golden plunger and we give it out to the guy who does the dirty work. And they, they all kind of like laughing. They're like, Oh, it's amazing. 
And, but then I think one of the powerful things I said is we just took him and I said, what are the kind of things that someone would do to win the golden plunger? What's the dirty work on our team? And they started to just list them off. Oh, like guys that are diving on the floor for loose balls, guys that are battling for rebounds, guys that run really hard in transition. And they just started listing off all these behaviors. And these are things that we've been talking about throughout the season. But then we put an object to it. Like, this is the golden plunger, right? This means that we this person's been living out these behaviors. And then, and then it, it was actually funny. The first time I did it, I just said, who do you guys think should get the golden plunger today? And the entire team pointed at the same kid. They're like, oh, Drew gets it for sure. And one, I think it's just powerful to, again, have something that you give out for your core values. But then two, it was so powerful when they start to see the behaviors that we actually want to reward. And they, you know, the behaviors had nothing to do with points or winning, but all about these values and behaviors that we had around effort and, and process. And so, yeah, I love your, your example of the rock. And I, and I think Mm -hmm. that coaches would be sort of like, find a rock, paint a rock, (laughs) find a plunger, paint a plunger and then give it out to your team. I think it's just so powerful. Anything else that you would share or add on to that? Yeah, that's, that is so uh, insightful there, man. Um, We we do a lot of uh, work also with, uh, with Brian Kane's uh, mental performance mastery system um, it, it kind of goes back to the, the thing before. It's kind of one of those things that I wish, you know, if I could go back and tell my younger coaching self, um, what would I focused on is kind of like, well, okay. Do, do we think that the mind, um, do we think that the way that we handle, uh, what we perceive as pressure or when we make a mistake or when we make an error or in, in the sport that I coach, right? I mean, heck you, you can make millions of dollars and be in the hall of fame by failing 70% of the time. Uh, it's pretty unique in that industry. Um, but, but what is it that we are doing in that time that we are failing, that we're not successful um, in order to make sure that we get back in that elite mindset? I, I've listened to, to the guests that you've had on here talk about uh, Carol Dweck's work and the growth mindset and not being fixed. Um, how do we make sure that we, we can have those telescope goals, right? Those far ones out there, but then we got to be able to break it down kind of microscopically. And I, and I love the way you mentioned that with the plunge of the dirty work. That's fascinating because it, you'd be amazed at how, how many of our players on our bus rides back or even in conversations, you know, either would say it at the end when we're there together huddling or would say, coach, I want to get on that rock. Coach, I'm going to get on that rock. Coach, I need to get, I need to get on that. I mean, and it became this huge thing where again, it's it literally is a rock that I got down at one of our local pop. It cost me like four bucks. I painted half maroon and half white. And after every game, you would you would you would you would put the number of the game on there. Then you would put your initials on there, and then we would take a picture of you or others, and then we would uh, we would tweet you out on that. I know some programs have done like you know a, a t-shirt they would have who that person was that was doing that particular. Uh, item on that to me to me that reinforces your cultural uh standards and norms way more way more um than a statistic um at the end of that and what i also found and and we do the same thing that you just mentioned there there'll be many times that we'll we'll just ask the team come up to the game you know in our head the coach is like well i think i mean I, i think you know, Luke was the rock, but then we'll ask the team, Hey, who do you guys think? And, and invariably you're so right on that. When that question gets asked, it's like an immediate group of, they know who it is, you know, for this particular person who made that web gem and that inning, or this guy that came off the bench and got that pinch hit right uh, on top of that. Or we've even had, you know, the bullpen catcher who had to sit there and systematically warm up four and five guys, you know, to get them ready because we, we needed them to go out uh, in that. But I, but I think you, you bring up a great point there that, um, that we do a lot of also too, for that mental side, those, those routines and the rituals that are part of your, of your program. You know, what, what are those routines and rituals? I'll give you a real quick one here. We, we, we had, we set up, uh, we, yeah, it was an NCAA record this year. We played in a 20, three inning game a division three record 23 innings now 
we lost. This was the last game that we lost of the year until we went on a run. Um, and when we lost that game, and we lost it to the game that of a team that was, they were in last place in our conference. Last place, right? 23, every opportunity known to me. This is one of those games you're sitting there watching like, how does this happen? What happened? It's baseball, right? So rituals and routines, right? Rituals and routines. Focusing on, again, the process, what it takes to get there. Being able to move on um, from a what you might perceive as a negative situation, right? And now let's move on um, and find the positive move on. So when we came back the following day for practice, um, we got all the guys together. Um, and kind of like you, I, I like doing this too. I love that, that you bring up and you don't tell them what it's for, man. That just brings up that curiosity, animosity. So as they're coming in, they're like, coach, why are there bricks? And why are there, why is there a fire pit behind the dugout? What, what, what is that? Well, we're going to find out what that is. Don't worry about it. So we go through practice at the end. Um, we each give them a three by five index card and we have them write down on there. Hey, or some negative thoughts um, or some negative actions or behaviors, maybe that you had this particular regular season that you think negatively impacted the team. I want you to write that down. Um, what are some things that you had some, some negative self-talk or real big with self-talk um, that you kind of had flowing through your head here um, that negatively impacted you? Write that down. And then the last thing we had them write down is any actions or behaviors that that would not have been an exemplary teammate. That's one of our core values. Write those down. So they write them down. And then they're all looking around going, am I going to have to share? Wait a minute, am I going to have to share this out? So then we're on one side, we're in, we're in a third base dugout. I then have them walk. So we get up and we walk all the way behind the dugout. When we get behind the dugout, well, we got the fire pit, right? And the fire pit has been illuminated. We had our trainers there who were already prepped on this with the water hoses and everything else because I didn't want to cause a fire hazard. And so then we got in our circle there, uh, and then it was our opportunity to bury the past. And so one by one, we each took those three by five index cards and we put them in that fire. Um, and we buried the regular season. And we buried that negative feeling of what happened in that 23 inning game. And we kind of had a rebirth um, of what's most important. Um, we allowed our senior council, our seniors talk about what they have valued the most about each other. Lots of hugs, lots of tears. Um, that were shared during that. Um, but, but that ritual, that routine, whether it's a plunger, a fire pit, um, we, we do smudging exercises. I'm a big fan of that um, in Native American cultures where you will smudge things and kind of eliminate all that negative energy and bring the positivity back in. Um, but whatever those things are that are part of your culture um, and that are part of your norm, um, I think really make a lasting impact much more than the X's and O's do. Um, yeah. I know that when you get in the postseason, right, we talk about it all the time in World Series, everybody that's there is really good. <laughs> they, they have really good players. They have really good coaches. Uh, they're very well taught. Um, but but what is it? What, what is it that kind of stands out in those? Um, besides the team that plays the best, is it the team that loves the most? Um, we talk about that a lot in our program, um, you know, I think John Wood mentioned that too. And they asked him, well, what do you want to be remembered for about your coaching? And I think he said, I want to remember that it was done with a lot of love. Um, and that's, that is 100% my mindset. That's our staff's mindset here is that um, we're, we're going to love you up and everything that we do. We're going to hold you and ourselves accountable in doing it. No doubt about it. And we're doing it for you. Um, we're not doing it um, to you. I think Monty Williams did that in a, um, talked about that a lot with the Phoenix Suns in the postseason this year. Just like, wow, just just such powerful, powerful soul kind of uh, touching. Um, yeah, speeches. yeah, absolutely. I loved some of the stuff that he shared and just how oh. honest and upfront he was about it. I almost don't even have to have to ask this question, but <laughs> I'm assuming you've watched Ted Lasso. You know what? Here, that is here. This is this is weird. I got a text message. Well, wait a minute. Well, it was a, it's a group me message. I'll, uh -huh. I will say this about, so we have a group me, right? With all of our student athletes. Sure. Okay? So we share a lot of things and I'll share Twitter. I'll share, I've, sh yeah. I've shared your, I share your podcasts with them. Mm. We listen to those. We break those down. And lo and behold, last night, 
I had three of the athletes that said, coach, have you watched Ted? Now I'm going to be, I have not yet. I have not. I have not. Okay. Honestly, we, said, we can stop the interview right okay. now. <laughs> honestly, you need to go, you need to go binge watch season one okay. and watch the first episode of season two. You shared that example of the fire and what you guys did there. I mean, you'll know when the scene happens, there's a scene in season one where they do something really similar and they're they're like exercising like some ghosts from their facility and it, it like it's it's partly hilarious but it's also this really powerful ritual and moment of vulnerability and connection very similar yes. to what you shared and okay. so that's what that's the only thing that was going through my mind when you were sharing that fire pit example of like oh my gosh like that's it, perfect and, and, and it just reminded me of that show so yes <laughs> you got to go watch it i will it's do fantastic. and i appreciate you telling me that because i had one of my student athletes who when we, when we did the burial thing, um, he, he, this was one of our student athletes that actually fractured his back. Um, so he wasn't able to play in like our last month exemplary teammate, just wonderful human being. And he had taped some of that information on time. So I thought about that when I was getting the tech, like, is this, what are you guys talking about? So I will do that. I, I've got it on my, on my to-do list. I told my wife that too. I said, have you watched this? She goes, no, that's on, that's on Apple TV, but I know it's about a coach. I know it's about uh, yeah. a coach. So my said, okay. my wife loves it. I think she might okay. like it more. Than, I love it. I think my wife might like it more than me. She's not even okay. a coach, right? But so it's fantastic. Okay, I, I it's it, it's man. really really good. Um, I will do it. Well, let's let's do this. I want to talk a little bit more, and we'll probably kind of wrap up with this. Sure. About establishing and operationalizing core values. Mm. Maybe mm. even just share what are your guys's core values in your program and how do you ensure that not only, you know, as coaches, but the players, they're owning that operationalizing of your team's values, actually yeah. living them out. Yeah. They, 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 they love it. When I want to have them say that exact same thing, like, Hey, Jimmy, tell me how many of your operation. Yeah. Coach, what, can you break that down? Yeah. So if, if you walked in <clears throat> right now, Luke, if you walked in, um, to our dugout. Uh, we, we have a beautiful facility here. Um, if you walk right into our dugout, we have our whiteboards that are right there. And then right on our whiteboards, there are our core values and our standards. We share these with our recruits. We share these in our opening meeting. Like we'll have our opening meeting come back in the fall. Holy mackerel. I just realized right, it's almost August already, man. The opening meetings are coming, man. Right. Our fall season's coming. I, I can't wait. Um, and in that, what I do is I will put together a presentation that will have our core value. So I'll, I'm going to go through them here, right? So core value number one is to be selfless. And then in that, um, I'm a big believer. I know Dan Willingham does a lot of this research at the University of Virginia. When I was a high school teacher, there was a big talk about learning styles, right? Like does, does Ron learn only kinesthetically? Well, I got to do all these kinesthetic things for Ron. And then now the research is coming out saying, well, Ron might learn kinesthetically, but Ron also learns visually and Ron also learns auditorily. So we need to have it all kind of in there. So, so what I have found with our student athletes, man, they, they love the visual. They love the kinesthetic, love the auditory. So what I will do is I will have um, a collage that I put together of examples of our current, our alumni, student athletes who have exemplified that value of being selfless. So for example, um, Pre-pandemic, our pandemic, I'm hoping, I'm praying that we're going to be able to do this again in the fall. We serve the homeless here in Salisbury on Friday mornings from 6.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. I have, I have six teams. We have pods of eight. So we have six guys in each. We bring in the 200 eggs. We bring in the 20 pounds of potatoes, the onions, the pancakes. We make it, dice them up. We serve it. We clean it up. And so what I would have on there, right, being selfless is I would have that picture of that. I will also have a picture on there this year um, of our senior catcher um, who um, this year played about 30% of the games. We had, we had a sophomore who performed better than him, performed better and played. And the picture I have of this is in the World Series is our senior catcher in the bullpen being the protective person so that while the pitchers and catchers are warming up, he's protecting them from any balls that are coming on the side. Or of our young man that I mentioned had the back fracture and he had to wear this literal, this, it was like a, almost 
made a PVC, this massive vest where he couldn't move. And he's got it on underneath his cage jacket. And every single game that you watch of ours, and I mentioned this to him and I love him with all my heart. I was like, Tim, every time I watch, man, you're the first guy out of the dugout. You're the first guy loving people. I will show pictures of that. Then we'll have the kids do a very simple activity. Brian Kane. I'm a, like I said, we're, I'm a big Brian Kane fan. Um, Brian Kane had taught this as I'd, I'd gone through his uh, mental performance mastery program about saying, okay, it's important to have a core value, but you also need to be able to operationalize that meaning. What does it look like when we're not on the baseball field, right? What's it look like when we're on the bus? What's it look like when we leave other people's facilities and they say, man, your guy's dugout is cleaner than ours and you were the visitor. Um, what's it mean when we go and serve the home and we stay and clean up? And they may say, oh, we've got this. We can clean up. And we say, no, 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 no. We're, we're staying here. We're going to clean this up. So by having this, especially the freshmen coming in, right? Because they don't know what they don't know, right? They're 18 and holy mackerel, what's going on? Um, then we'll make sure that, that, that we have operationalized it on. Here's what it looks like on the field. Here's what it looks like off the field. But also important is here's what it doesn't look like on the field. So if, if someone, if Luke beats me out and Luke's playing that day, I'm the first guy. I'm going to be the first guy that's going to love you up and dap you up when you come in that dugout. I'm going to be the first guy that's going to try to help you up in that. And when you do something, I'm going to be ecstatic for when it happens to you. So we will show video of that. Um, one of the favorite things I have is our dugout is anytime somebody will move a runner up. Interestingly enough, um, in baseball now, you know, I, I'm not a fan of uh, – uh, gorilla ball as it was in the nineties um, and make sure we have 35 degree launch angles and make sure our exit velocity is a hundred so that we had a lot of fly balls to strike out. Interestingly enough in the division three national championship game this year, St. Thomas and Salisbury university led the NCAA in sacrifice hits and were the two teams left standing. So if somebody sacks a guy over, somebody hits behind a runner, somebody gives himself up, my favorite part of our example of being selfless is seeing the entire dugout waiting for you in a tunnel as you come into the dugout to dap you up. Every single player is doing that. That then to me is the best way of showing them this is what it looks like. And our goal of that, Luke, as I, as, as I know that other coaches have mentioned on the podcast um, that are certainly more learned uh, than me have mentioned the idea that, you know, we, we look at it as we, we don't coach. I don't coach a sport. Um, we, we don't coach a sport. We, we, we coach life skills. We coach life skills and behaviors. We just happen to use baseball as the conduit. Um, and I think it was Amos Alonzo Stagg back in the twenties when they said, uh, you know, what do you think coach about your team? How successful, um, you know, how was the year? I think this was after he won the, the national championship and he goes, well, I don't really know how successful it'll be until 20 or 30 years down the road. Right. Um, and I believe in that too, right. Not the, and I know it sounds cliche in, in these days, but it's not a four year relationship, man. It's 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, and the great joy for me, um, we won the national championship was all of the texting, the FaceTiming and the zooming of our alumni. Um, who were just as joyful and just as happy and just as emotional um, as if they were still there because they are still part of our family. Um, and so to me, you, you kind of know you kind of sustain things if, if you still have people like that that are continuing to, to feel part of the program and, and pouring in. So the, to answer that, to me, it never was just, hey, let's post these, be selfless, be a hard worker, um, be competitive, be the teammate you would want to play for. It's one thing to post those things and have them. But if you don't, as you said, if you don't operationalize them, if you don't live them out, if you don't give examples of them, and when our upperclassmen or the examples of them and share that and take those young student athletes under their wing, um, and you truly have that um, player-led team, man, you, you can do a lot, of, uh, a lot of amazing things besides just winning uh, baseball games, um, in life. Yeah. And I, I just think that the importance of that can't be understated and, and for coaches just realize it's not that complicated. It does take some intention and 
getting your guys in a classroom off the court, off your field, whatever, just sit down in a room together and start to figure these things out. Cause the funny thing that I found too, is the more I do this with athletes, the more they end up producing the things that I would hope that they say, you know, they they know it too. And that, and what they really want down deep and, and you see it when your alumni are still so connected to your program is they want a, that positive transformational experience too. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just so important that we create some space every year to just do that. And what you shared is so powerful. Just share examples, share non-examples, right? And then have them share examples and non-examples. They know it because they've played with the bad teammate before. They've played in the environment that sucked before and, and let them actually have it out. Because I think the, the other aspect of why it's so, so critical is we can't hold them accountable to anything if we haven't defined it with them. Right. Coaches want to talk about like these kids, you know, holding kids accountable. You can't hold your kids accountable because they have no idea what you expect of them. They don't know what your values or standards are. You can't hold anyone accountable if there's no clarity about your values and your standards and what it actually looks like. What are the behaviors? Like there's not an, I I don't think there's any issue with kids and them not wanting to be held accountable. I think there's a Mm -hmm. huge issue with coaches not defining and then not being able to hold them accountable because the kids don't know what you're expecting. You've never defined it with them and you've never let them have a voice in the process either. Yeah. Any thoughts on that as far oh, as the, Luke, you just, to you just hit the nail on the head on that one? I think I'm going to take what you just said right there. And that's going to be the very beginning of my athletic coaching class this fall semester. <laughs> um, you're exactly right. And and what we do as a staff is we'll, we'll use the, the analogy of the, the mirror and the window, right? So um, when, when things are going well and everything is, I'm looking out the window and I'm giving credit to everybody else, as do our teammates, we, us, our, and when things are going bad or we're struggling or something happens that, you know, we go, Whoa, holy mackerel. All right. Did, did we rep that? Did we prepare it? Then we're going to look in the mirror at ourselves. And that's the first thing we do as a coaching staff. You're exactly right. Is, you know, I'm not going to hold anybody. We will hold no one accountable to anything that we haven't defined, uh, explained the why of that, especially I found out when, like we've mentioned, we get 17 and 18 year olds. I know you, you coach in a very young team there with yourself. I mean, 17 year olds are coming into a college environment. where, like, you know, I was all everything. I was the first team. It's like, what is going on here? And everybody comes from a different culture, right? Everybody, we all have cultures, but yeah, I, I agree with you. And I've never had a student athlete that's ever said in any of our exit meetings or feedback sessions that, Coach, I just don't like being held to a standard. Coach, I just don't like being held to high expectations. Never, never one time have I heard that. Um, and I think in, in, in some way that is the part that, that we're going to make sure that we set the stage, set the foundation and get their input as well. Like, okay, these, are they still valuable? Do, do, do we still think these um, are, are what is good for our particular environment? I, I think you just, you hit on a very, very insightful point right there. Yeah, that's really good. and as you were sharing the, the windshield and mirror kind of picture there, there's actually something else I think connects a little bit that just came to my mind. And I know you're an avid podcast listener. So kind of a recommendation in here for you too. Okay. Sure. Uh, Brene, Brene Brown interviewed oh, Abby yes. Wambach on her dare to lead podcast Dare to lead, and oh. it was so insightful, but Abby Wambach shares the story of essentially her losing the starting position on the women's national team as the leading goal scorer, in the history of our country and how it was really hard for her. But she shares this powerful analogy in there that I think connects to a lot of what we've been talking about. She talked about pointing and running. Mm. And she said that she made an effort to, whenever the spotlight was on her, to point it at someone else. And then whenever Mm -hmm. someone else succeeded, to run to lift them up. And so even to the teammate that replaced her and took her spot, that was her thought process of I'm going to run when that, when someone else is in the spotlight, I'm going to run to lift them up and make sure the spotlight shines on them. I just thought that was a really powerful example. Oh, that's, it just came to my mind. We had our, um, our, um, all American this year, senior Justin Meekins, 
um, who got a lot of play on a lot of things in ESPN for his various photographs that he took over the years. If you if you Google him, the monocle guy, um, you, you'll see him. And I'll never forget a comment that he made this year that I think exemplifies exactly what you just said right there. We were talking about exemplary teammates and give us examples. And we had one of our, um, we have a lot of our alumni who will, you know, either come back, talk to us. And we had one young man who was a, uh, primarily a bullpen catcher for us was a walk-on. And in four years, I think, Luke, he may have gotten eight innings and maybe four at-bats. And when we were talking about teammates, what they look like and how they act, and we were going around and asking the seniors, and Justin he goes, Coach, he goes, he was the greatest teammate I've ever played with in my life. He was the greatest example of a teammate, and I want to be a teammate like him. And there, So to me, that, and, and those of us in the Coach Freshman, man, that just, that's, to me, just sends everything to say, okay, this is a successful project we have going on here that a 22, 23, 21-year-old kid can sit here and say, it's more than just, you know, wins and batting averages. Even though we're competitors and we're going to do everything we can, it's about, it's about caring more for each other and loving each other up and lifting those other people up who constantly keep keep propping us up. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating um, part of, I think, of, of sustained cultures that, that continue to have success. Um, kids change. They change, and it's going to change in the next five years, right? Um, we had to go through the pandemic. We're masked for seven hours on, but I mean, it's part of the process. Um, but, but I agree with what you said there. Yeah, you, you have to be able to, to shine it on somebody else, make your teammate a hero. Um, especially if you're the one that seems to get all the limelight because of the quote unquote perceived right uh, importance that that you have yeah that's really powerful well this has been fantastic i think we're going to need to do a part two at some point where we talk more about some of your systems especially i'm fascinated to learn more about your system of promotion and correction and some of those other things you mentioned so i think we'll have to do a part two to talk about some of those because i think coaches would enjoy that too but before we hop off i've got three really quick rapid fire questions for you and i just want to know the first things that pop okay. into your mind. Yes. So here's the first one. The most fun part of coaching is the relationships that I get to establish, foster and keep with my student athletes. That's fantastic. Here's the next one. I wish I would have known blank before my first coaching experience. I wish I would have known more about the importance of the mind. Um, and it's ability to either enhance or inhibit athletic performance. That's so good. And any coaches listening to this, um, go back and listen to, I think it was episode nine. I had Megan Bartlett and Jill Lofren on the podcast, and we talked a ton about the brain and trauma Mm. and stress, super important for coaches to have an understanding of the brain and the mind and how that impacts our athletes performance. So I love that you said that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then here's my last one. I know I'm successful as a coach when the student athletes truly love each other and love our coaching staff. That's fantastic. I love it. Uh, well, coach Cyrus, this has been a lot of fun. You know, it'll serve a lot of coaches before we hop off, just tell coaches where they can connect with you and learn more about your work or anything you'd like to share with them. Sure. Um, they can connect with Luke on, um, on uh, social media, my Twitter account, pretty simple. It's at Ron Sires Jr. Um, if you just do Ron Sires, you'll get my octogenarian father, who also is an avid tweeter on top of that. Um, or if, if you, I, I, I feel like it's old school now, Luke, right? When you give an email out, if you, um, if you look at that at uh, Sires at salisbury.edu, I, I'll go the old school uh, on top of that. Well, you can DM me um, as well there um, through the Twitter account. Be glad to talk to, to anyone to help them out. Um, and like, again, I just want to uh, congratulate you for what you're doing here. Um, like I said, I've listened to every single one. It's a wonderful podcast and you're doing a great service um, to the coaching profession. And, and it truly is a profession. Um, and it truly is something I know that I'm biased because obviously I'm in it. Um, but I think it's one of the most noblest things that you can do, 
um, is to pour uh, into other people in order to try to inspire them to do what, what they find inspiring. And I'm very fortunate and very grateful and blessed to be able to do it for so long. Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode. And thanks again to Coach Sires for coming on to the podcast. I love the leadership challenge framework that Coach Sires shared with us, and particularly the MICE acronym, Model, Inspire, Challenge, Enable, Encourage. Just imagine what it could do to our teams and the lives of our athletes if we committed to doing those five things in our coaching. Modeling, inspiring, challenging, enabling, encouraging. And I love the practical examples in each category that he shared. It's one thing to talk about this framework or these ideas, but the most important thing is that we actually begin to make changes in our coaching to ensure that we're doing those five things. So that's my encouragement to you. Spend a few minutes reflecting on those five areas of the Leadership Challenge framework and determine where you need to make some improvements first. Then go do it, because change starts by taking those small steps. Like I mentioned in the intro, you can hop on my email list and get the podcast notes from this episode at coachesclubpod.com. And if you enjoyed the episode or found it valuable to your coaching, please take a minute to either leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a shout out on social media. It goes a long way in helping us share with other coaches. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club Podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. 